Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. I will not see your comments if you leave questions in the comment section of my videos. I cannot at all guarantee that I will see them or take them up, but if you send them to me by email, I'll get them, I'll put them in my queue, and eventually we will get to them. <laughs> I've got some that's been there for a while, but we'll, we'll figure them all out eventually. Um, I wanted to put a big plug in for the podcast this week. Uh, this was a podcast that I did with a wonderful woman named Hannah, and she was an ex-Mennonite. And uh, her father was actually quite uh, physically and spiritually abusive to her before they became Mennonites. And then in the Mennonite community, things, you know, continued. So it's quite an extensive interview. It's quite impactful. And I really hope you guys will check it out because it's also quite important information to get out there as I talk about at the beginning of the podcast. Also this week, uh, we had a really fun time this week on the Critical Conversation show on Friday. That's our live show where we sit here, me and my wife, Melissa, and talk to you guys, take calls live, and uh, generally have a good time Friday nights at 6 o'clock Mountain Time, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, right here. So you can join us for that, and I hope you do. Um, we kind of had a bit of an open mic night this week, so it was a bit random as to what we were talking about. And uh, But all good stuff. It was all very, very interesting. We were kind of all over the place. So I would encourage you guys to check that out. I would very much love to grow that show, by the way. Um, I, you know, we're forming up a real community there of returning regular people who call in or not. And the comment section is quite a little lively affair. And anyway, a lot of fun there. So check it out. All that being said, we've got a ton of Scientology stuff to cover this week. So let's get to it. Jonathan Perry, how long or far enough up the bridge do you have to go before you learn about PTSness, suppressive persons, and disconnection? I can't imagine it's immediate or no one would want to join. At what point does it start to turn into something completely different than what you thought it was going to be? You know, I thought about this for a bit, and I think the way I'm going to answer this is I'm going to say that depending on how together the person is and how together their life is and how distracted or, you know, chaotic or insane their life might be will probably determine how fast or slow some of the Scientology, you could say they're going to start bumping into the sides of the road. You know, like when you, when you come into a group, it's a wide open road. We want everybody in here. And then the road narrows as the guidelines and strictures and, and rules start coming into play as to, you know, who can be part of this and what kind of path do you need to walk? You know, got to walk the right walk and talk the right talk. But when you're first coming in, you don't know what the walk and the talk is. And you, all you know is you want to get better or you want some help. And this group is telling you that they can help you with that. And they're convincing you of the truth of that. So you, you sign on, you get in there. And with Scientology, because what I'm talking about here kind of is across the boards, but now with Scientology specifically, they're trying to get you as many wins as they can. In other words, moments of awe or fervor, <laughs> moments that are going to create some fervor, right? Moments that are going to be impactful and interesting and important to you. Um, and, and, and they're going to fill, you know, fulfill emotional needs. That's the number one top of the, top of the uh, list 
item is is you know is fulfill your emotional needs you've come you know into scientology because you are having a trouble with your kids or your job or yourself you're depressed you're anxious you're this you're that and scientology can help you so they got to get those wins across to you quickly and that's what creates the sort of um as my friend Yuval Leor likes to say, the awe experience or the fervor experience, right? Where you have this, like, you know, all the endorphins and everything, woohoo, right? The dopamine hits and all that. Uh, that's what they want. And they're trying to do that with training, with the with the beginning courses and with the, um, or the auditing, the beginning auditing services you can get. But they're also so anxious to get it to you that they want to sit down and like talk to you too and, and try to get it across that way and acculturate you into the Scientology world as quickly as they can. A lot of Scientologists are really anxious to get new people in and they're very excited when somebody shows up. So... Um, as far as the so this, so it's all so my, my point here of course is that it's all about these wins so they're not gonna try to lay a whole bunch of strictures on you right away they don't want to hem you in right away they want you to feel that this is a big wide open free thing and all the things you've heard are totally wrong and you can come and go whenever you want and we're not heavy duty and we're not hardcore right until you have a few of these wins until you have what they call cognitions. Now, cognition is a regular English word that you know, is, is about thought or having ideas. But in Scientology, a cognition is a noun, and it's a very it's a it's a realization about life or about yourself or about some significant thing to you. Oh, that's why my mom was always ragging on me. Oh, that's why I failed out in school. Oh, that you know, like these kind of moments. These are these are major cognitions. This is what they really, really are trying to get. And through the uh, common sense kind of advice that you get on the beginning courses, for some people, this is a really big revelation. They don't they don't know common sense on this point. That's why they ran into trouble on it in the first place. So they learn some of these principles of organization or about people or about communication or something. And they go, oh, wow, I never thought about it that way before. And they can kind of reframe the situation in a new light and go, oh, and they have a cognition. They have a win. They have a, yo, wow, this was great. And they, of course, attribute that to Scientology. Same in the auditing, same experience. Now, you want to get a person to the point where they've had more than one of these. See, one's good. But two, three, four are way better because then they're not in a frame of mind where they're going to really ask you a lot of questions or be really suspicious about your motives because you've delivered emotional satisfaction and even happiness to them for periods of time. And they have felt euphoric. They have felt blown out of their heads. This, by the way, is the time when you want to interpret this kind of thing as being exterior, out-of-body out experience, right? Like as a Phaeton, you popped out. This is what this is what's interpreted uh, the experiences that are interpreted on that communications course that we've talked about so many times. Where in the 1970s and 80s, people were doing this course, and oh man, I'm out of my head, I'm exterior, you know. Well, that is in, a lot of that has to do with interpretation of the euphoria, and you know you can have a euphoric experience, but that doesn't mean you spirit you that one that you're a spiritual entity, or two that you popped out of your head. But anyway, I digress. After enough of these wins where you've reached a plateau where you're calling yourself a Scientologist, right? You're happy with that label. You're okay with that. 
Yeah, this is my group. This is my jam. This is what I want to be doing, right? That's the point when they can start introducing some more structures and some more guidelines and some more rules like the PTS stuff. See, after you've had a few of these wins, you, of course, you know, the person who's excited and euphoric about all this usually goes and starts telling their friends and family about it. Who wouldn't? They're excited about it. They want to share this good news. They feel relieved. They feel happy. And of course, their friends and family immediately, it's a cult. What are you doing? Didn't she watch Scientology Aftermath? You know, et cetera, et cetera, right? So then they come back in the church and now they're not so happy because now their family and friends are upset with them and they're like, ah, and that's when, that's usually at that point is when the ethics officer or the registrar, the salesperson will sit the person down. And sometimes the salesperson does this. They don't always send them over to an ethics officer. They're not supposed to do this, but, but they do. Um, and they will start prying and finding out, okay, who told you what? What did they say? What happened? All right, let's get this all worked out, right? And tell me what happened. And did you know that this is something we run into all the time? We actually have a name for this um, because these people are acting suppressively towards you. Here you are winning and gaining with Scientology like you can't believe. And you go home and what's their reaction? It's a cult. It's bad. It's horrible. Do we look like a bunch of cult members to you? Is this, does this place look bad? Does it look like we have some dark dungeon in the basement? I mean, come on. You have had amazing wins and gains. They don't know what they're talking about. You know what the experience is. Okay, so let's get this sorted out. And then they will go and learn about PTSness and suppression and disconnection. And they will be asked, okay, how do you want to start handling this, right? Do you want to deal with these friends? Do you want to deal with these family? Or should we start cutting ties? And you're not going to generally see a lot of push to cut ties early on, at least not when I was in. It might be more extreme now. I could certainly see that it could be. But over the years, it's gotten more and more and more extreme and, and, and kind of like less tolerant of anybody giving you any crap about Scientology. So now if you're getting any crap about it, they might well go for the disconnection. But the if they're following what Hubbard said to do, then they're first going to try to handle that situation. And, um, and that, of course, would make sense to somebody who is new and kind of, kind of fresh and green, you know, wet behind the ears. So, um, so they try to maybe go placate their friends, placate their family, tell them to chill out, tell them to stop giving them shit, right? That kind of thing. So they can continue having their euphoric experiences in Scientology. So that's that's about how it generally happens from my experience. I watched it. I watched that drill happen many times um, with new people coming in. And sometimes you'll keep them and sometimes you don't. You know, it's quite interesting. A lot of people fall off during that time. They go home. They start telling their friends and family. You don't hear from them again. <laughs> you know, so Scientology knows that this is actually a really crucial point. And that they, this is kind of why they're all over these guys at the beginning without trying to appear to be, you know, they're like, uh, they're like helicopter parents, you know, they're always over these, these new guys, these new Scientologists, right? Because they want to protect and cradle their, their little new Scientology, proto-Scientologist, right? And keep them going along the line. And they lose a lot of people along the line, but... Um, when they don't lose them, it's because they handle them with these kid gloves until the person is claiming to be a Scientologist is starting to really get into it. And then they themselves will agree to stricter discipline 
harsher conditions because Hubbard, then you start reading Keeping Scientology Working and some of the more hardcore Hubbard references. And when you're ready for that, when you're at a point where you're like, yeah, Scientology, this is great stuff. I want to know more. Tell me everything. Well, here you go. Here we go, right? And uh, woohoo, rocket ride. All right, so that's kind of how I've seen it go down. And there could be lots of other times or places or, or ways that that could happen. But generally speaking, um, that was the most common way I saw it done. Dusty Bills. Hey, Chris, I saw Aaron Smith-Levin tweet about a COMEV, Committee of Evidence. I'm not sure if you've explained it or not before, but I didn't understand what he was talking about. Can you please explain it? Absolutely. Okay, so Committee of Evidence is a formal investigatory body that is that is put together um, in Scientology, whether it is it can be manned or it can happen at any level of Scientology. It can happen with the public. It can happen with staff or in the Sea Org. Okay, it's it's uniform throughout. It is the highest form or the most severe form of potential discipline short of being declared a suppressive person, okay? So, um, so if you're getting a committee of evidence, if you're, the, if you're the interested party, if it's being done on you, you could potentially be in a whole lot of trouble. And one of the outcomes of a committee of evidence could be that you get declared. Uh, often a committee of evidence is required to declare somebody. It's not, uh, you don't just say, okay, you're suppressive and, and go right up the goldenrod. Very few people have the authority to be able to just order somebody to be declared in Scientology. It usually requires a COMEV. There are other things that can happen from a COMEV as well. The way, let's, let's go ahead and um, see how this works. It's, it's, uh, it's called by an official convening authority, which is usually an ethics person. At the local church level, that might be the ethics officer, um, but it's going to have to go outside the organization for approval. You can't just locally... At a, at a church like in Denver or in uh, Milano or something, like a city-level church, they can't just call a committee of evidence on their own. They have to have authorization to do it by the Sea Org. So what they do is they send it up to the convening authority, um, I, I believe that's the term, at the continental level. And that person is the continental justice chief. That's the person who can look at it and go, oh, yeah, this looks good, or kick it back. It doesn't look good. No, we're not going to do this, Comev. Do this instead. Um, but if the CJC, uh, and there's a CJC, a Continental Justice Chief, in each of the districts or, or geographic zones of Scientology around the world. So in the Western United States, you have a Continental Office with a CJC for the Western United States. And any committees of evidence from Hawaii to Twin Cities to Texas are going to be approved by him. He then sends it up to the international justice chief who has to give it final convening authority. And once they've got the stamp of approval from the IJC, the international justice chief, then the committee can be held. Whether it's held at the city level office, the same thing applies at the continental level. So when I was in management at the continental level, if I was going to get commoved, the CJC was usually the guy drawing it up. And then he had to send it up to IJC to get approved. Once it's approved, three to five Sea Org members or three to five Scientologists, depending on which level it's held at, are gathered together and they are given the bill of particulars. And it's a list of the crimes that are alleged to have been committed by the person involved. 
and the specifics and circumstances and all the reports and evidence. It's all in a big folder. This was what it was required in order to get it approved to be held in the first place. It's usually a pretty thick, thick affair. Lots of reports, statistics, all kinds of stuff to prove that the Committee of Evidence is actually called for, and that earlier actions were taken before you jumped right to a Committee of Evidence. However, realize that every single rule that I've talked about so far can be and has been broken by authority and by skipping chain of command and stuff like that. So there have been COMEVs called just like that, and they were held that day, and they didn't go through IJC because some top-duty Sea Org member or missionary or something was present, or David Miscavige personally ordered it or something. But, but generally speaking, what the procedure I'm describing is how it's done. Three to five people get together. They go through all the evidence. They read all the reports. Now, this is in addition to their regular job or duties. So they're usually meeting off hours. And people hated being called on to uh, being serving on a, having to serve on a COMEV. It's kind of like jury duty in the Sea Org, right, or in, in the, as a staff member at an org. Because um, you don't get any break from your job, but you have to do this on top of it. Anyway, um, they go through all the evidence and everything. Then they start interviewing the interested party and any witnesses they want to call. And this is actually like a formalized justice procedure in Scientology. So they call witnesses. I mean, I believe I've read in the past that you could even have representation, like legal representation, if you wanted it. But I've never, ever, ever seen anybody do anything like that. And, of course, that would also conflict with outside representation. Obviously, everybody involved is going to be a Scientologist. Uh, okay, so they go through all the stuff. They interview whoever they want to interview. They get all the data, and then they decide as a body there is a, a head of the COMEV, a person is chosen to kind of lead the thing, and then there's a secretary who's keeping notes of everything, and they record all the interviews. Uh, they want it on tape. They might do it digitally now, but however they do it, they want it recorded. And all of the recordings go with the package, and the committee members put together the findings and recommendations. And this is where they take each crime or high crime or misdemeanor or whatever the person was accused of, and they decide guilty or innocent, and here's the information as to why we decided that, point by point by point. Then, once you have all the findings, you have the recommendations, which is what the committee decides this person needs to do or not do based on their review of the information. So if it's guilty across the boards, let's say, or even if it's guilty of just a couple things, well, okay, so you're going to do amends. And when you're on a committee of evidence, you might get an amends project to go do that might be like 100 hours long. And the, and the poor schlep has to go off and do that in his own time. Or you might be ordered to go to auditing to get a sec check, and you're going to have to pay for it yourself. Uh, committees of evidence order that all the time. Uh, or you could be ordered to do other things, other forms of restitution or other amends or other recommendations, again, including being just declared a suppressive person. So the COMEV goes up, it gets approved through CJC and IJC again, and once IJC gives it his final stamp of approval, it comes back down and the findings and recommendations are issued on goldenrod paper. All of this is all done on goldenrod paper because that's the color for justice in Scientology. And uh, then the poor schlep who is comev gets to find out what happened. The whole thing is supposed to be done swiftly. It's supposed to be, like, canceled if the whole thing doesn't happen within, like, 7 to 10 days. But I was comev when I left the Sea Org. 
And that took three months. <laughs> they didn't care. Uh, you know, if they were going to comment of you, they're going to comment of you. So um, anyway, so that's kind of what happened there. And that's uh, that's a comment of that's basically the, the long and short of it. There's lots of other minutiae and details, but basically that's the that's how it goes. M. Beezer. Hi, Chris. I read a comment on Mike Rinder's blog about how you delivered KTL. I'm interested only in study tech, not the other insanity in Scientology. The church no longer offers it. Do you know where KTL is offered? No, I don't think the key to life. The KTL is the key to life course. It's an extensive course, and I'll talk about it in a second here, but it's not delivered anywhere in the world that I know of. I was a Key to Life supervisor. It's a course that is delivered in a classroom. It has a couple steps that are auditing type steps too, but um, using clay, using the clay table, uh, but it's auditing rather than training. And if you've watched my breakdown on Scientology training, you know what I'm talking about. There are clay demonstrations that you do in the classroom to show or demonstrate principles. Uh, and you can also use clay and clay like demonstrations with little people made out of clay showing their relationship and stuff. But you call them clay representations and the clay representations are not from a book or some idea from that you're trying to demonstrate you understand. They're from your mind. So you might be asked to do a clay representation of a problem uh, that, that has happened to you. And so you would make you out of clay and there's you with a little body and then you might make another person and you guys got into a fight. And so you put the little clay guys together and there they are fighting. And that's a problem that happened to you. So that's a clay representation. And that's done as part of a formal auditing session. And that command, by the way, the uh, problem that may have occurred to you is one of the commands that's in the key to life first process. There's a couple different clay table processes that are done on that course in order to clear up some confusions people have and problems they've had in the past and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into breaking down all the course because it's extensive. I'll just tell you that the Key to Life course is basically a language and grammar course uh, on steroids. It is an extensive review of the English language. You cover every small common word of the English language and you define every definition of them and use them in sentences. And words like um, for by, um, these are words that have tens of definitions. <laughs> they are, they're, there's a lot of uses for these words. And you clear them all up in doing this class. Then you have a 500-page grammar book that was put together by the Church of Scientology. It has L. Ron Hubbard's name on it, but he did not write it. Uh, that we, all, we know all this because Dan Kuhn, the guy who did write it, or was overseeing the, the writing of all of this and the compilation of all this, said that it was based on you know, some loose notes and scraps from Hubbard. It was really not something that Hubbard wrote beginning to end, but it's got his name on it. So you study grammar, and, uh, and you study grammar at a, at a pretty fundamental level. So you're learning all the parts of speech and the tenses and, the, and the, you know, all the verb types and, and suffixes and prefixes. I mean, it's, it, it covers a lot of stuff. Um, there's even some basic composition and sentence structure, paragraph structure, you know, all that kind of stuff. So basically like a, you know, middle school level uh, tour of grammar, but it's, you know, it's for a lot of adults who kind of skipped that part in school or forgot all about it. And by covering these things and some, and a few other points that are covered in the, in the middle of all this, you, 
gain a much higher appreciation for and and facility with the English language. Um, it, it's just a byproduct of the course, right? And the idea of the course is that people are out of communication with the world because they don't understand the words and symbols and ideas that they see, and they are battered with them all day long. Um, now, fair enough, that is actually true. People are riddled with things that they do not understand. And it's even worse when it's compounded by the fact that there are that, that they then think they understand it when they really don't. And you get Dunning-Kruger as a, as a thing and et cetera, et cetera. So there are, you know, some, there is some validity to understanding the language that you're using at that level. And, you know, for those of you out there who have uh, noted or commented often about how ex-Scientologists seem to, you know, be able to, we, we, we seem to be able to express ourselves pretty well. And this course is one of the reasons why. Not everybody by a long shot did the Key to Life course, but quite a few did. So, um, so anyway, so that's, that's kind of a thing. Hubbard really didn't have too much to do with this course. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, but it came and went. It was, deli- it, it was uh, it released internationally across all of Scientology, I believe, in 1991. Uh, and I was part of the initial delivery of it in Santa Barbara, California. And then, um, it, you know, kind of took off. Everybody was doing it. And within a couple of years, everybody had kind of gotten through it who was going to do it. And it kind of petered out. And by mid, uh, nineties, end of the 1990s, it was hardly being delivered anywhere. And by the two thousands, it was a dead service. Um, so, I, you know, Miscavige just stopped pushing it, and the org stopped pushing it, and it didn't really make Scientology take off like everybody said it would. I mean, we thought this course was going to rocket everything, and um, and it didn't, of course. <laughs> so anyway, that is the Keto Life course. That's what I can say about it. As far as it being delivered anywhere in the world at this point, I have no idea. Um, you know, like I have said many times, this course was something that I did as a Scientologist that I got something out of, but that doesn't mean I endorse it right now. If you want the Key to Life course, go get a dictionary, go get a grammar book, and look up those words and study some grammar, and you will have the result of the Key to Life course. You know, it's really not that complicated. <laughs> so there you go. Holly Provencal. I was watching your materials and directives of Scientology video. You briefly touched upon CBOs, which you had to read and memorize to do your management job. I was wondering if you could expand on those and possibly recite one or two off the top of your head. Holly, this is hilarious that you are asking me this because um, we actually spent upwards of about three or four full days memorizing in a page and a half long uh, CBO, Central Bureau Order, uh, about programming, about how to run org programs. And uh, anyway, I have not given that a whole lot of thought in 20 years. And I and you said, you know, can I run any off the top of my head? And I thought, oh, my God, do I remember any of that? Um a program is a series of targets done step by step, one by one, until program complete to full program completion. 
I think that was the first line of it. Uh, I don't remember the rest of it, but I remember some of the principles. CBOs were central bureau orders. Now, in the in the history of Scientology, management of Scientology has gone through various iterations, and there was a formation in the early days. This is ni- early 1970s, when L. Ron Hubbard set up. Instead of an organizing board that had divisions, they were called bureaus, and each bureau and the and there was there was it was the the whole thing the whole management section was referred to as the central bureaus, and so the guidance and orders and policy for those people doing those jobs were CBOs, central bureau orders. So there were really only a few, I think, a few hundred CBOs altogether, if I'm remembering right. Um, and uh, one of them had to do with how to run programs. In fact, there were quite a few about how to run programs because programs are the, one of the primary tools of Scientology management. Um, the, you know, yelling, screaming, and, and order, uh, orders through the phone and in person are the number one tools of Scientology management. But programs are this administrative function and, and thing that they have that if done right, they'd, they'd actually be kind of useful. But nobody does them right and nobody really gets them done. Uh, But Hubbard was on a roll about programs and running orgs on these step-by-step series of targets that you get done. And by getting them done, you take the org or area from this plateau to a higher one. You, You build, you grow, you expand it. The targets of the program are the steps that the staff are supposed to do right there on the ground in order to get that done. Sounds sensible enough. You know, you give people competent, adequate direction and let them get on with it. That's what a program is. But Hubbard couldn't let people just get on with it. And so it was constant interference and constant cross-ordering and constant demands for more income and all kinds of other nonsense that gets mixed up in this. But if you just read the CBOs, then you get this really hardcore appreciation for programs and their importance. And so that was what I recall off the top of my head about CBOs. Um, And yeah, I think that's about all I could really say about it. It's just, it's one of... You know, so many different kinds of issues that Hubbard wrote for different things to cover policies or guidelines or rules for different areas. Just like there were CBOs for the managers during this particular time period, there were also, for example, uh, cine EDs, um, cinema executive directives, right, or cinematic having to do with cinematography. Uh, and here were a bunch of executive directives, a bunch of guidelines and policies about how to do cinematography. So you have those. I mean, it can be hyper-specialized issue types. So you can check out that uh, materials and directives video if you want to know more about all that stuff. Frank from ND. I've been reading some descriptions of Scientology's core theology, and as you well know, it states that people were originally godlike thetans that created the physical universe, then forgot their godhood. But apparently there are also purely physical beings that seek to trap and control thetans. Does that mean Scientologists believe that some people don't have souls? Hey, Frank, uh, thanks for this question. It's a good one, actually. But no, that's not, that's not how I recall it, at least. Now, I'm only doing this off the top of my head. I didn't go exploring, delving into the depths of Hubbard's uh, you know, ravings on this one. But what I recall from having read that is that you have people, you have Thetans coming into the physical universe at different times. So you might have, I don't know, waves of them or something. I'm just kind of making this up. I don't know how, but somehow 
some thetans are came in later than others. So the early ones come in and go through this whole cycle of, of you know, throwing planets around and having fun with the physical universe and then gradually succumbing to it and forgetting their true nature and becoming more and more like the uh, feeling that they are the bodies that they are occupying because then that became a game at some point. Hey, let's play with dolls. Let's play with meat bodies and then let's pretend we are the body and let's get all the sensation from the body because it's in this fun and don't these feel so good. And this was kind of how Hubbard posited that Thetans got into, into bodies in the first place was they were kind of fun to play with. And they were kind of like playing with dolls, like girls, you know, little kids play with dolls or boys play with action figures. And um, then we kind of became the action figure <laughs> and we forgot our true nature and then became kind of got caught in this cycle of this. Well, we were aided and abetted in this process by some unkind Thetans and some unkind people who um, were getting more and more meshed into the reality of the physical world to the point that they thought this was all there was. Now, let me draw you an analogy here that is going to sound insanely stupid, but is actually 100% accurate. Ghostbusters. Okay, so you have this team of three guys who are running around capturing ghosts. And they're using hardcore, advanced electronic and, and, and physics technology to do it. The kind of electronics that hasn't been discovered here on Earth yet, according to L. Ron Hubbard. So the Ghostbusters are an example of the kind of degraded meat body thetans, because the Ghostbusters are people. They are just like you and me. There's a thetan there, but they've forgotten they're a thetan. They think they're a body. And so they're running around trapping, you know, disembodied thetan spirits and capturing them and sticking them with electronics into a fortress, you know, capture jail uh, sort of sort of situation. That's exactly how Hubbard described these old guys back in the day on, you know, back in the distant, distant past, capturing and enslaving thetans. So kind of funny, huh? Nobody's ever really, I, I've never heard that analogy made before, but it's a hundred percent accurate to how Scientology thinks about this thing, right? Um, so that's the best I can give you on that. I hope that uh, makes sense and answers the question. <laughs> All right, let's do some flash answers. Steve Wood, I guess this is a rather tongue-in-cheek question, but once you've signed your billion-year contract, was it ever discussed what happens once you have completed the contract? Do you sign up for another billion years? Actually, Steve, we did used to joke about this. We used to sit around and kind of laugh every now and again about it and be like, oh, yeah, well, after the I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, after the billion years is up, I'll be on my way. I don't think I'm going to be doing a second contract. But um, we all imagine, I mean, a billion years is such an unimaginably long period of time that it was just kind of nothing but, you know, tongue-in-cheek joking because none of us could really conceive of how much we were going to get done in that time. We figured a billion years is plenty of time to, to take this universe down, though. M71679. Under what circumstances, if any, would Scientology give away their books and lectures for free? 
Yeah, there are no circumstances. <laughs> they have free promotional materials, introductory CDs or DVDs and, and booklets and pamphlets and stuff, and they'll give that stuff away by the, by the boatload. But they will not give away books and lectures and, and stuff like that. Keep in mind at all times, Scientology is a money-making scam. The only reason it exists is to funnel money to the top. So they're not going to give away stuff unless they have to. Dan Rust. Does it seem that Marty, in trying to dismiss slash discredit the story of the Headleys, is finally choking on his own words? When I watched his YouTube Going Clear movie, Part 8, he started to have a hard time swallowing and speaking. My gut reaction was that his body was rejecting what his mouth was trying to say. I have absolutely no idea what's up with Marty or his inability to speak, but if um, Marty's ghosts or sins were coming back to haunt him, that would be absolutely no surprise to me whatsoever. All right, guys, thank you very much for all those questions, and I hope my answers were somewhat satisfactory, maybe even mildly entertaining, uh, certainly informative. <laughs> all right, and with that, we will wrap up the show for this week. I want to remind you guys I have a Critical Clips channel where these answers are uh, posted I'm still going through videos and catching up, so I am still years back, but there are, this last uh, or week, ago, week ago, we had over 500 clips now posted there. So answers to questions, they're there. Go ahead and check out that channel. Link is below. And of course, if you enjoy my channel and want to see me succeed, then you will support me through Patreon because that is what keeps the lights on and keeps the show going. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.